Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the American Association of Teachers of Spanish and Portuguese New York Metropolitan Chapters podcast. The title of this episode is Successful Teaching and Learning Methods During the Pandemic K-16. My name is Dr. Alan G. Hartman, and I am the Program Director of Modern Foreign Languages, as well as a professor of Spanish and Italian at Mercy College in Dobbs Ferry, New York. Before we begin, I would like to thank the other members of AATSP's New York Metropolitan Chapter Podcast Committee. These committee members are Professor Marilee Bierman, Professor Merida at Rockland Community College, Dr. Liliana Soto Fernandez, Professor Emerita of Spanish at John Jay College and past AATSP president, Mr. Bernie Lopez, a director of communications and former president for the AATSP Metro New York chapter, and Rosani Hanau, a Spanish teacher in New York City at the High School of American Studies. The mission of our podcast is to provide pedagogues, students, Hispanophiles, and Lusophiles a platform for discussing key topics relating to Hispanic and Luso-Brazilian issues. Before we meet our guests, I would like to invite you to subscribe to our podcast, as well as visit our chapter of the American Association of Teachers of Spanish and Portuguese Online at aatspmetny.org. That's aatspmetny.org. You can also email me directly at ahartman.aatspmetny at gmail.com. That's A-H-A-R-P-M-A-N dot A-A-T-S-P-M-E-T-N-Y at gmail.com. And I would be happy to speak with you. This week, I am pleased to welcome to the podcast, Dr. Marlene Gottlieb, Chair of the Department of Modern Languages and Literatures at Manhattan College, where she is also a professor of Spanish. Ms. Diana Rochella, a middle school teacher at the Vineland Public School, at the Vineland Public Charter School in Vineland, New Jersey, and Mrs. Teresa Fernandez, an assistant principal, as well as a Spanish and French teacher at Midwood High School in Brooklyn, New York. Marlene, Diana, and Teresa, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Okay. Thank Wonderful. you. Wonderful. Thank Great. you. So the way we're going to structure today's podcast is we're going to begin with Diana, who's teaching in the middle school level. Then we're going to go up to Teresa, who's, te who's teaching on the high school level, where she's also an assistant principal. And finally, we're going to move up to Marlene, who's at the college level, the undergraduate level at Manhattan College. Um, and that will be the structure of the conversation. Of course, if anyone would like to chime in any, at any point, they're certainly welcome too. So Diana, since you're at the middle school level, uh, I'm going to first ask you, the understanding that we've just gone through a pandemic and we're actually in the middle of it still, even though it's almost a year later. Uh, what has been your experience upon returning to the classroom this fall? Well, hello, Alan, and thank you. Um, since I'm a high-risk patient and a care given to my ailing mother, I was hesitant regarding, regarding all of the unknowns returning to the classroom this year. But however, um, returning to the building that first day for our meetings and Seeing all of the safety precautions that our administration had sent into place, not only for their staff, but also with their students in mind, I was more at ease. Our first two weeks of classes were virtual, so we had no students in the classroom. However, once our students returned to the classroom, both traditionally and hybrid, I actually felt even more comfortable being with our students in the classroom. They were maintaining their distance, wearing their masks. And now a few months later, nothing has changed. I'm just as comfortable now as I was then. Perfect. Okay, so you've had quite a bit of changes. Teresa, in the high school, uh, what has been your experience upon returning to the classroom this fall? Well, I think uh, I'm going to look at it from the curricular point of view. We are much better prepared because we had time to sit down and think what we were going to do for the entire semester, if not for the entire year. So my teachers and I 
uh, were able to reflect on our new environment and look at how can we take advantage of it. And also sometimes what can we not do that we used to do in the classroom. So we have new pacing calendars, we have new activities, and we are, in my school, we are hybrid, uh, kind of blended learning. So we have different uh, cohorts of students coming in every day, and uh, they are, we, we feel safe, and we are doing well, but we are definitely much, much uh, better prepared than last semester. Okay, terrific. Excellent. Marlene, what has been your experience upon returning to the classroom this fall? Okay, well, at Manhattan College, we did want to have in-person classes, but of course, because of distancing and masks, most classes are remote. I personally am teaching remote, but we do have a great number of classes that are hybrid or what they call high flex, where the students... There are students in the classroom, the number of students that can be accommodated properly with six foot distancing. And then the rest of the students are online and the classes are given synchronously. So I'm teaching synchronously now, but remotely. And it, yes, I feel much better prepared than I did in the spring, but I still prefer face to face. I'm looking forward to getting back into the classroom because Teresa's right. We had to change so many things with the way in which we teach that we really miss some of the advantages of being in person with students. Right. No, absolutely. And I, I think the whole, as we were discussing even briefly before we started the podcast, you know, it's a whole different environment out there. We're really in a different world right now. And uh, you know, we've really opened a door. We're not going to shut entirely once this resolves, I'm sure. Uh, but as you mentioned, Marlene, you've gone into hybrid uh, teaching. That's your modality, uh, one of them. And so maybe that's a good thing to, to ask the rest of our panel. Diana, what model of instruction are you using this fall? You know, online, remote, hybrid, or traditional face-to-face -face instruction? And which online platforms and resources have you or your institutions chosen to better serve the students? So we're a charter school and we need to reach more than one type of student. So we're following all three, remote, hybrid, and traditional methods. Our hybrid students, um, they're divided into cohorts of A and B days, meeting in school Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they're remote the other days of the week. Our hybrid students have to report by 9 a.m., Dismissal starts at 2. Our traditional students report by 8.30 for homeroom and dismissal for them is at 2.30. Our administration chose which platforms we're using. We're using Google Classroom and Zoom. I do find it effective using Google Classroom. I can use Google Forms to assess my students. They take their assessments right there in front of me, whether they're using Zoom or in the classroom. I close out their test, quiz, whatever they're taking at a specific time so that the kids who, the students, excuse me, who are at home do not have an unfair advantage. I like to enhance my lessons by using Duolingo, Kahoot, IXL, as well for assessments and Quizlet. It's a way for them to engage with me and their classmates. I have limited time to meet with my students. It's only 30 minutes. So we do every week I'll incorporate a Kahoot or something just so that they have that time to engage with their classmates and not just the repetitive nature of a lesson. Okay, so Diane, you said you're in the classroom two days a week. Did I hear that correctly? I'm in the classroom every day. Every day. Every day. And the students as well, or are they, are they on a rotating basis? I have some students on a rotating basis, and okay. one class is there five days a week. Okay, very good. And who chose these uh, modalities? Uh, you, you're admin using a number of different things. Go ahead, Diana. It was our administration. Okay. Uh, your administration. Very good. Yeah. And did you as a teacher or did the other teachers have much of a voice in choosing the platform? No. Okay. We were pretty much told, here's how we're doing it. And we went with it. Okay. That's one way to do it. Teresa, 
what model of instruction are you using this fall? And which online platforms and resources have you or your institutions chosen to better serve the students? Well, we are using uh, remote, blended, or hybrid. So we have four different cohorts coming into class, into the school, uh, four different days. We have a fifth day for the special ed and ESL children to get special and extra support. And our teachers teach synchronous instruction for all their classes. Uh, our school, as most of the DOE schools, uh, do Google Classroom. However, we also have the ability as teachers and as departments to select many other uh, platforms. So we use our textbook platform, um, which is, is an HMH book. Uh, we also use Zoom. Most of our teachers love to use Flipgrid and Padlets to allow for quick conversations and oral work and listening comprehension. Uh, many, many of them also use Nearpod and Pear Deck. So there's a lot of add-ins that do extra for our language classes. And that's really up to the teacher, but most of them are really enjoying teaching each other actually how to do these things, which a little while ago, we'd never even thought of, but they're really getting into being able to connect with the students via the internet and making it meaningful and using uh, everything for authentic resources. And part of that is Edpuzzle and for listening comprehension. So we have a lot of different little things that teachers do to connect with the students to make languages be more lively and connect a little bit better, even though we are a little bit distant right now. Yeah, Teresa, that's interesting. What you're saying about the peer learning, basically, the the, um, the, the ability for students to work together to really coach each other through uh, the material. I think that, you know, that's something that in the classroom happens if you put students in pairs or in groups, but online sometimes it gets lost. So what you're saying is that Actually, this is an opportunity for a different way of, of peer learning, uh, which I think, mm -hmm. yeah, which is great. Now, who chose these different platforms, Teresa, in your So our school, our school basically chose Google Classroom. The DOE, New York City DOE, provides Google Classroom, Zoom, Duolingo. So they really do, they're, they're stepping up their game right. and are really providing all these platforms. Uh, and our teachers are just eating them up and, and trying them out. And our students are really being wonderful with them. Right. No, absolutely. And I think what you're saying is my own experience as well. I know often I'm in conversations with other faculty in our field about what it is they're using in their, in their classroom to teach the same material, basically, that I am. And it's a pretty lively discussion on a regular basis because <laughs> we've all gotten to wherever it is we are through a different circuitous route. And uh, it's very interesting to, to share these resources. I find it to be fascinating. Um, very good. Marlene, you mentioned briefly that, that you were using the hybrid model, but um, maybe some, um, not all the class or classes or courses in your program are using the same or college, or how is it uh, at Manhattan College? Well, Manhattan College chose to be a Google college. So they use Google Meet and everything Google. However, we in languages were not happy with Google Meet because Google Meet does not allow us to see all the students in our classroom right on the screen. You know, Google Meet has a limited number of little squares you can see, and we want to see our classes run 20 students usually, and you can see 20, you can even see 25, you can see even see 30 on Zoom. And that is a tremendous advantage for us. We also, so we asked if we could use Zoom. We were originally denied and we fought to get Zoom because we explained why in languages, Zoom is important. We need to see our students. I think every class needs to see students, but certainly in languages, we need to see their gestures. We see, need to see their faces. They need to see our faces. And how do we create communication if you can't see one another? So, and another important thing was, of course, if we are remote, we don't need our mask. It's very difficult to teach with the mask. It was suggested that we use one of those transparent masks. They fog up. You can't see. We really wanted to see if we could eliminate the mask. So 
more than half of our classes are entirely remote. The faculty who are teaching in person, the hybrid, are using the masks, and they say that that is difficult for them. But at least if they have Zoom, they can see all the students who are remote because the students were given the option to be remote. The faculty were not. Unless you had a reason to be remote, you were to teach the hybrid. Now, we also use a learning management system. So we use a system called Moodle. And we were asked to put all of our assignments, all of our syllabi, every bit of material that we have on Moodle so that students could follow that. But we also use the learning platform that our textbooks have. So, for example, our elementary Spanish courses are using Panorama, and it has a wonderful super site with all kinds of listening exercises, speaking exercises, writing. It goes, it has tutorials. It's a wonderful program. And in our intermediate, we use Mosaicos by Pearson, which also has a My Spanish Lab, which is a, also a very good online component. So we have really relied on those more than anything else. And I must say that, I guess, I don't know if, if on the college level, we don't like to try too many new things or we're too busy with other things, but we tr really try to do very much what we would do in the normal in-person classroom using the technology so we know we have to accommodate, but we really want to try to still do what we do when we're in person. So we like to break students out into small groups. That works really well on Zoom because you can not only break them out, but you can put them in any combination you like and you can change with whom they are working with on the, right on the spot. You don't have to plan it you know, days before. And we also like to use the, we like to break up the class into many different activities. And that's very easy to do with Zoom because you can share, you can break your screen, you can show different screens. So we found that with Zoom, Moodle, and the textbook platform, we're, we're pretty satisfied. And so we're not using too many others. Some faculty are, they're using Padlet, some are using Flipgrid, but many of us are able to do everything through our Moodle and our, our Zoom platforms. Terrific. And it's great. I think what I'm hearing from you, Marlene, and from uh, Teresa is that the administrations of your schools are really listening to the teachers and allowing the teachers to go out there and decide what resources they need and, and to really respect their experience in the, in the classroom. And uh, I think that that's just really terrific. Um, yes. And I know it's the same in my own case at Mercy College, we're using Zoom. Uh, but we also have an opportunity to investigate different uh, resources that are out there and it's really terrific. But I think, Marlene, what you're uh, really picking up on is the need to be able to communicate effectively with students in a classroom that they're learning the language, as well as having the students speak to each other and to do whatever we can do to keep this as interactive as possible so that we really do go forward in creating a sense of community in the classroom where people are communicating and speaking and it's alive. I think that's great. Terrific. Okay, well, Diana, we'll, we'll start back with you on the, on the middle school, which is um, what professional development and technological training have you sought out in preparation for the 2021 academic year? And I'm guessing, especially since um, you didn't have the burden of choosing, of, of seeking out the type of technology you needed in the classroom, that there was some sort of professional development for you. Right. Well, they trained us with uh, technology, so we've been well-trained in Zoom. As far as professional development for language, I'm the only language teacher in the school, so I've had to sought out my own professional development for language training. I seek out every opportunity I have. I'll register for the AATSP webinars, as well as the Simple K, 12 and others that I love to find on social media, such as Facebook, Instagram. That's what I've done to, you know, further myself in these uncharted waters. But Zoom and I forgot Google Meets, our first two weeks while the kids were home, we were doing our professional development on Google Meets and Zoom. Okay, and so did they train you in this, or how did yes, they? Yes, they did. They yeah, okay. we were being trained. All right, and did they train you remotely, or did you have to go in the classroom? No, we were in the classroom. We were each in our own classrooms while someone was set up somewhere in the USA while we were being trained on these platforms. Okay, very good. Yeah, and I do remember I, for seven years, I was the only 
full-time faculty member in languages in my program. And I do remember that was a, uh, a tall order to really decide uh, what was best for all the students and not having someone within the same program to bounce things off of. Right. It's interesting. And today I was informed that I need to start thinking about the elementary grade kids. So I have to start thinking of, I believe it's going to be K through fourth grade now. Right. Right. Yeah. And so in these kinds of a situation uh, or situations, I found it to be helpful like to do what you're doing, which is to basically liaise with other faculty at other schools to see what they're doing. Uh, because it's always important, like what we're doing on the podcast, to to really speak with others in the field to see how to go forward, you know, uh, right. and to share own experiences. Sure. And Teresa, how about you? Did you have uh, professional development and tech training as well? And how did, and if so, how did that come about? Well, in uh, over the summer, the New York City DOE, uh, with Jill Schimmel, the, the director of World Languages, had wonderful uh, PDs. For that were subject based. So that was very good. Um, we also, my teachers and I, myself, we could do all the NICAFELT and NISAFELT and AATSP because we can get, we have to get our hands on anything and everything to enhance what we are doing in, in, in our subject area. And in our school, Teachers that are tech for, for technology, teachers that are technically savvy, they we form a professional learning uh, commi- community. And we actually have as, after school teachers teaching teachers and is turning out wonderfully because we are all in the same place, not physically, but in the same place, meaning we, we know our school, we know each other and it is it's turning out to be a, a wonderful thing to be able to share what they know. And then you can always reach out to them because they're right there. It's not like they're in some other country. They're right there. You can always pick up the phone and ask if you get stuck. So it really is turning out that the best resources for us, besides we do have OTAs that you can go online and, and the school has paid for it. But I think the teachers have found that other teachers are the best resources for technology. And they feel much more comfortable when uh, they are available to talk to the person that they already know. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, Teresa. I find that's been my own experience. I'm sure the experience of the others on the panel. I mean, one of the reasons too that, you know, at AATSP, New York Metropolitan Chapter, we came together for this podcast was the idea that, you know, we really needed to um, go into this new phase of education together and, and really create a resource for everyone. And the only way we could really think about doing it um, is by bringing everyone together and discussing what, what the matters are at hand. I think, Teresa, right. what's going on in your school is exhibiting this perfectly. How about you, Marlene? Well, at Manhattan College, they did require us all to get the training in the technology. So they gave us training over the summer in Moodle and all the capabilities that Moodle has. And it has quite a number of capabilities. You can really do everything that you can do in Flipgrid and in Padlet right through Moodle. But they really didn't provide any training in terms of our subject area because we were to take care of that ourselves. And so we did. There are so many opportunities. There were more webinars than we possibly could deal with, not only with the AATSP and the ACTFL, but Instituto Cervantes had wonderful training and wonderful um, webinars for people teaching Spanish. And many of the other languages also, the organizations related to those languages all stepped up. Carla stepped up. So we really had an abundance. All the publishers had four and five webinars dealing with every aspect of engaging students, using different techniques to keep them engaged, trying to change, how do you teach differently when you're teaching online? So I think that we were well-trained, but we did have to look for this ourselves, at least in languages. We had to find them and we did. And we did share. I have to say that Maybe we weren't all that tech savvy to begin with, you know, and in general, faculty on the college level don't spend all that much time talking about pedagogy. 
we might think about it for our own classes, but we don't generally sit and discuss pedagogy. We discuss our research and we discuss other things, but we don't tend to talk about what's the best way to teach X, Y, or Z. And now we have begun those conversations. So in a sense, I, you know, I agree with Teresa that this new way of interacting about pedagogy, which is so important when you're teaching, is something that has been a real big positive change on the college level. Okay, I agree with you entirely, Marlene, and that sounds terrific. So it sounds like everyone in our field has had a plethora of professional development and technological training opportunities uh, to get into the current fall semester or current fall academic part of the academic year. Um, and now we're in the academic year. Not only are we in it, but it, we're quickly coming to the end of the fall semester at the college level and to the middle of the academic year in the lower levels, which is hard to believe. Um, but there are other concerns that are outstanding, and I think we see them more and more as we're moving into the winter. And so, Diana, what are your main concerns regarding language instruction and being able to appropriately reach students? And have you received any feedback from students who participated in remote learning last spring? And if so, how has that feedback guided you as an educator? So my biggest concern is one that I believe all language teachers have, um, the ability to reach our students as we did when we were synchronous. Having to wear a mask, it's a huge limitation for our language classes since they need to see how we enunciate our words. I bought those masks with the clear mouth towards my voice when trying to teach. The students just complained about it. If we were over Zoom, they didn't have the best of internet connections, so they could not always hear me very well and vice versa. So that was my opinion, a waste of money didn't help. As far as feedback, we've had students who did remote. They are now returning to traditional. We had room in our traditional classrooms. They wanted to come back to school. Parents begged and pleaded to have them come back. So we have students who are coming back into the classroom. They tried remote. They just told us they weren't learning anything. So they're giving us the feedback that they're not learning anything at home. They have too many distractions and they'd rather be with us in the classroom where they can interact with their teachers. They can interact with their classmates and there's more a sense of that camaraderie. Whereas when they're at home, they don't have that someone watching over them to make sure that they're getting their schoolwork done. And that's pretty much what my students have relayed to me. Sure. Yeah, no, it's a real concern, right? Because the students suddenly are forced to be much more independent. And Correct. especially at home, who knows what their setup is, if they even have a place to study if they have a quiet place to study, um, if they have a family that encourages them to study, who knows? Um, mm -hmm. There are all these different issues going on. And you know, I, on the middle school level, I, my sister, she's got children uh, who are in elementary school. And, you know, um, it's hard for, for children to focus. It's, it's hard to, especially without a strong direction. Uh, exactly. However, even though they're the brightest children on earth. Exactly. Uh, so there are so many distractions. I see it as I'm watching them on Zoom. Right, 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 absolutely. How about you, Teresa? What are your main concerns regarding language instruction and being able to appropriately reach students? And have you had any feedback from students in the spring? And if so, how has that formed you? Absolutely. So our, one of our main concerns as teachers is that our students reach a certain level of oral proficiency. And it's difficult because uh, high school students don't like to show their faces and they don't like to speak. So writing, reading, doing, doing it puzzles wonderfully. It's just that when they have to speak spontaneously, that's uh, an issue. So we really try to encourage them to speak when we are all on our Google Meets or when they're in their break rooms. So that's one of our main concerns. 
And last year, at the end of the year, we had us, uh, we had our students tell us that we were giving too much work. So we have, that's why we revised our curriculum. We did a different um, uh, pacing calendar. And at the same time, this year, what we have instituted in my school is that we send out a survey every three to four weeks to kind of let us know how we are doing. And our survey just came back a week and a half ago, two weeks, and we are... We were doing okay, but they needed a little bit more time for working. So again, we have to become a lot more fluid and flexible on our deadlines. And so we are keeping that in mind because, yes, it is very difficult for many of them to work from home. And being the, even if they have opted in to, do, uh, to come in to, to school, it's only one day a week. So we have to take that into consideration and we're trying. And has this experience, Teresa, that's great that you have these evaluations, um, uh, indirect evaluations really coming to from, from other, from the students on a regular basis. But how, how has all this also formed you maybe as an educator, Teresa, I know you're also an assistant principal. And so uh, you, you have this wealth of experience now, both in administration as well as in the classroom. Do you feel that as an educator, you've matured in any way or changed? Well, it has made, made, made me change and rethink what is the most important thing? What is the essence of the language that you really want to teach? And what is it that you want to teach or you want them to use it? With all their errors and beautiful mistakes, we want them to use it. Right. So sort of a, a, a refocus of what's truly important in the classroom, be it online or in the classroom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Terrific. Marlene, how about you? What's your experience? Um, you know, are we are concerned regarding language instruction and how to reach students and what kind of feedback have you gotten and how has this changed or has it changed you or uh, in any way as an educator? Well, I got a lot of feedback from students saying that, oddly enough, the students who we say are so tech savvy have a lot of difficulty getting into the classroom, finding the proper link. All of a sudden, their cameras aren't working, their mics aren't working. Today, this is working. Tomorrow, that's not working. So that technical problems do arise, and they get very frustrated with them. So I, you know, I try to overcome that, but it is not easy when suddenly you have a student, then all of a sudden they've dropped out of the class, they've disconnected, then you've got to readmit them. Another one, you don't see them, you ask them to keep their cameras on, but they don't always do so, or they'll say their camera isn't working. And then when you call on them, there's no response. So all you saw was that black box, but you don't know where they were. And obviously they were not behind that black box. So one of my main concerns is how do we keep the students engaged and interested enough in following because our classes are 75 minutes long. And that's a very long period to be in one subject in front of a, in front of a screen. So I have tried to break my, you know, my activities for the class into very small units, doing a lot of oral work because I agree with Teresa. The whole purpose we feel of language is to get them to be able to speak, at least in Spanish, you know that after a year, whether it be elementary or intermediate, they should be able to communicate on a very basic level, but they should be able to communicate and tell who they are and what they are. So that's what we try to do. But that is not easy on this Zoom platform because they do get distracted. Many of our students are in dorm rooms. There are two or three other students in that dorm room at the same time. Even if they're not taking a class at the same time, they fool around, they, they tease the person who's in class. So we get a lot of that kind of interference and it's really hard to keep them engaged. I've tried with the breakout rooms. I've tried to have them, I will put up pictures where they then have to talk about it. But what I really miss is the interaction between students because they can interact with me, but they're not interacting with one another. And it's very difficult to tell, you know, Maria talked to Rosa. They don't even see which one they are. They're looking at all these little boxes to see who they are and they don't really know them. So the best way is to put them in the breakout room, but that isn't really the same thing as having ongoing conversations with a whole group. 
So I do miss the actual interaction, the oral interaction, but I have learned to create new activities and put, you know, break up the class into 15 minute intervals or 10 minute intervals, changing things constantly. It works, but I still miss being able to do this in person with props, et cetera. No, it's nicer. I, I know from my own experience in the classroom, I have a small, since I'm in a blended modality for the most part, at Mercy we have a choice of all kinds of modalities. I teach mostly using the blended ones where the students have an option to be in class or they have an option to zoom in synchronously. And, you know, the students who come to class and who sit there in class, all they say is <laughs> how much better it is to be in the classroom because they know each other, you know, and we have fun together. We, we you know, we, we talk about not just the the, the lesson, but in general, we, we, we speak amongst each other and we have that camaraderie. It's a true academic community and uh, the students enjoy coming and they enjoy seeing each other. And they enjoy, I think, seeing me, <laughs> you know, and I think that uh, as I enjoy being there with them, for sure. And so I think that this element, this human element is certainly something that's missing. Um, and to pick up on your point, I find that, you know, the, the Zoom breakout rooms are a big help. And usually what I do is I go in and out of their Zoom rooms and breakout rooms, see how they're doing. Yeah. Otherwise, in the bigger room, uh, it, they get lost. And just like what you've said, I call on student day and they're just a black box with no response. <laughs> it gets tough. Has, has any of this, Marlene, uh, changed you as an educator? I know Teresa was saying it, it helped really define helps her really see what the mission is that she has in the classroom. How about you, Arlene? I think that has been the case. Actually, I've always been, I've always put emphasis on the oral work. So I've had to find ways to make the oral work as much, as more as in, engaging as possible while dealing with all these little boxes in front of my screen. And it's, you know, it's not, I've learned how to do different things that I never did before. So we do a lot more role-playing. I do try to, you know, prop even if it's in a little box show them something but I, I i do miss the acting out you know we used to follow the razias method where you would bring in a little telephone and then you would throw a telephone and speak to someone you can't do that on a screen right. but it's very interesting that you say that the students love the human engagement they all are telling us that they want in-person classes right. nevertheless when they register a lot of them are registering for remote classes right. and some who are in the in-person have moved to remote. We've had to actually put a rule that you cannot move into remote if you've chosen in person. But a lot of them then choose, they, I, I don't know if it's because they figure it's easier, it's more comfortable, but they, a lot of the in-person students have actually opted for remote. And then they complain that they don't like remote, but they opt for it. I think it's just more comfortable. Right. And I, and I think in higher education too, the question is for the students who choose not to dorm or um, who have to travel to class, and certainly I teach majority commuter students, you know, it's, it's more economical to be remote. Um, then the question is, are they remote synchronous or remote asynchronous? And I know we're registering for the fall, right, spring rather, right now, and there's a, a large push for asynchronous online courses, and um, it, it's not necessarily reflected in student success, meaning that the students who go on to asynchronous online courses their grades don't necessarily reflect greater success than students in synchronous courses or the students in synchronous face-to-face -face courses, which I think are the highest level. But uh, I think the temptation for students is to go to the easiest model uh, for their, whatever it is, if they're balancing life, uh, responsibilities yeah. outside of the classroom, as well as paying bills or <laughs> simply not, not, not being able to or not wishing not to, to have the expense of commuting to class. Maybe it's just a general fear, I don't know. But yes, these are but all things, Marlene. Yeah. yeah, in language at Manhattan College, all our classes are synchronous. We okay. have no asynchronous language classes. The students must attend regularly, and we have them attending three days a week. Okay, well, then there you are. Great. Okay, well, terrific. And so now having all the students online and uh, in some fashion, and uh, for most of the students online, synchronous or asynchronous, whatever the story is, it brings us to the discussion of assessment and academic integrity, which I think is something that uh, certainly I'm struggling with, and I know many of my colleagues are. And so, Diana, uh, what has been your exp experience in, in, in the processes of fair assessment and academic integrity, and have they changed at all during the uh, pandemic? Absolutely. Um, I've changed the types of assessments that I'm administering. If I give a quiz 
over Zoom in the blended classroom, there's a time limit. Cameras have to be on. I'm assign assigning more projects for them to work on. Breakout rooms, exit tickets on Google Classroom. If I post an assignment for them, I can check the little box, check for plagiarism. That way I know if their academic integrity is being compromised and I don't have to go through the work as I used to. They're pretty good so far. I'm not administering as many tests as I used to. It ju- there just isn't enough time. Right. My time limit, as I mentioned before, is 30 minutes. So a lot of projects this year. There's a project that my eighth grade students will be working on that they're excited about. It's a travel-based project where they will be taking their classmates on a tour of various sites of the Spanish-speaking countries around the world. It's something I do every year. They love it. Um, Last year, they incorporated Google Earth, and there was another platform that I can't remember the name, and they just created these amazing projects, and it, it pinpointed every little spot they just they could do so much with technology when they want to when they choose not to they have this blindfold on and there's nothing you could do about it but when it's something that they're truly interested in excited in like this project i'm speaking of right. the world is endless to them so a lot more projects sure. i'm doing this year yeah absolutely yeah, and yeah, and I think that's terrific. You're, you're meeting the students where they are and assessing them in, a, in the best possible way there. Um, Teresa, what's your experience uh, during the pandemic with assessment and academic integrity? Well, we have we have to be very flexible because not all our students have uh, computers that have cameras yet. They, some of the kids are doing, the our students are doing, are working on a phone. So our most of our what we have changed is that we do not do multiple choice exams or quizzes. And we have shy away from that. So what we do do is a lot of project-based learning with multiple steps and multiple ways of checking in with rubrics. And in a way, it has shown us that it's easier for them to get to be engaged because you set out your project out there but everybody's project takes a different turn, a different way of looking at this. It. So it's also almost like differentiating, but they differentiate themselves because what we are trying to do, we are trying to make them write more, do it whichever way they want to do it. So they can do a presentation, they can do the flip grid. So we are trying to meet them and make them use the language more than just the memorization of. Because we've realized that Google Google Translate has a wonderful thing. It translates everything and even things they don't know. Therefore, we'd rather have them go little by little uh, so that at intervals during their project-based learning so that they can show us what they really do know that by looking at infographs is, or things like that using real resources right. that's what we are trying to do anyway right absolutely and that, is that change in assessment something that you've started or is it something that's come through the administration no actually it's something that my teachers and i have decided because we don't want to look at anything that google translates we want to look at materials that our students write even with their errors right right Google Translate is not a good thing in a foreign language class, in a world language class. Yeah, I agree entirely. And, you know, that's one of the things that's nice about actually Zoom, in my own experience, is I can have them, I can give them the power to to write in front of the whole classroom. So we have a worksheet that I bring up on Microsoft Word. I can enable whichever Mm -hmm. student to write their answer. So you can see their own work. Right. (laughs) And correct it in front of them. Uh, And we, we also make them use word reference for sure. looking up words, we make them we we sign we make them sign a contract. 
promising that they're not going to do Google Translate. But, you know, it, it is, we're trying. And word reference, I think, is excellent, actually. It's the best online dictionary that I can find. I tell my students to download it as an app on their phones because it's free and it's terrific. It's what I use. And even in doing translation, sometimes um, translations for publication, I'll go to word reference just to see what they're saying. <laughs> I really do think it's an excellent resource together with other resources. Um, Marlene, what's your experience with assessment and academic integrity? Okay, well, I've, I've asked my students to sign a statement saying that they will be honest and they will not use any additional sources during exams. But I've changed the nature of my exams in the sense that I'm giving many more exams, but they're many, they're short. So I give a lot of quizzes. I give oral exams, many more than I ever gave before. So it's one-on-one -on -one oral. I call them in and we have a conversation based on whatever the lesson is or the lessons have been. And it's just an ongoing thing for maybe five to seven minutes per student individually. It takes an awful lot of time to do that, but it gets them more, I hope, gets them a little more comfortable. And of course, they can't cheat if they're doing an, um, an online discussion with me. Then I also, as I said, I give many more quizzes, but all my quizzes are based on the production of language. The students need to produce the language at a very basic level, but there's no such thing as multiple choice and fill-ins. No, I ask them to write a conversation between a, a parent and a child, a conversation with a classmate they're going to plan to go on vacation. And I tell them you need to use different verbs. You need to talk about where you're going, when you're going, what you're going to do when you get there, that kind of thing. So they do a lot of that. I, I give them pictures and I ask them to describe the pictures. I give them, you know, Botero, uh, the paintings, and they have to describe the Botero paintings. So they got to do color. They have to describe people. They have to say where they are. So that's how I get the ser and estar and para and por and all of those through pictures. Or I'll ask them to describe their routine and I'll give them, you know, nine times on a clock and they have to tell me what they do at that hour. So it's very hard for them to cheat in that way. Also, my exams are, they're live. In other words, the students are in Zoom. They put their camera on. They are writing their exam. They have to focus their screen so that I can see their writing space and their hand writing on the paper. And when they finish writing, they take a picture and they send me their quiz or their exam. So it is extraordinarily time consuming. I have tried everything to find ways to correct those JPEGs or even converting them to PDFs. They're, and it's a nightmare for me because I've never corrected so much in my life. But in order to keep on top of them, in order to be sure that they're engaged with the material, they get a quiz every single week and then they get an oral every two to three weeks. So my whole life has been dedicated to teaching these classes. <laughs> I have I can't have no time to do anything else. Well, yeah, no, absolutely, and I, and so I think that what you're bringing up there is that if this whole pandemic and the transition to online learning and to new ways of assessment not is requiring a good deal from the faculty member, which not only entails discerning what discovering and discerning what the best resources are for the classroom, uh, but also then the time needed to, to evaluate all of these, to implement all these, and then to assess the student work with the new forms of assessment, which are no small measure, um, uh, no, no small thing. Um, Teresa and Diana, have you, is that similar in, in your experiences with uh, time management, that, that the new assessment modes are requiring more time on your part as faculty? Absolutely. <laughs> So both of you right away, absolutely. You see, and so that's that's a strong um, indicator of, of how our field is changing, and and how the faculty members really not only is our colleagues stepping up to the plate uh, and actually meeting the students where they, they need to be met, um, but we're giving putting in the time. It's a big change in our field, uh, really something. Um, well, this brings us to our last question for the podcast. Uh, which is how has your experience transitioning to remote learning in the spring of 2020 impacted you as an educator? And can you share any engaging activities and or research assignments that you found to be successful, Diana? Well, last spring, we were not prepared. 
we left our school with the understanding we would be returning within a few weeks. That never happened. This year, we knew what to expect. We were prepared. We were organized for what was to come. In Also, in the past, I've had to be prepared for last-minute changes to our schedule. You never knew what the day was going to bring you when you entered the door. This has also taught me that there's no such thing as being too prepared. Anything that can happen will happen. So being prepared, not going to happen. It's just impossible today. As far as assignments, I mentioned the travel project, how much they enjoyed that. A few years ago, I did another project with one of my classes where we looked up fast food around the Spanish-speaking communities. So they had to compare different fast foods. So what our menus here at, say, McDonald's, we have here what they would have in Puerto Rico versus Spain versus Uruguay. And they absolutely adored that project because they were able to see the cultural differences between what we have here in the United States versus, say, Argentina, where they would have dulce de leche on their menus, which I had to explain to them what dulce de leche is. Or in Puerto Rico, where they have mayorcas for breakfast on their menu or a macriollo. So they absolutely adored that. So those are some like activities that I've done that were very successful and will be making another appearance this year for my younger grades. Perfect. Perfect, Diana. Thank you. And I think the first part of what you said really shows, you know, how, how our field is not only requiring us to be changing uh, assessments and formats and, and different resources and so on that we use, but that it really shows that as a, as a field, we're able to do it. You know, we, it really shows good things, I think, about uh, faculty and modern languages that we're all so quick uh, and able to really use different things, expect different things, and be flexible with a quickly changing and dynamic classroom. I think that's really interesting and important mm -hmm. to note. Uh, Teresa, uh, how has your experience been? Uh, how has your experience transitioning to remote learning in the spring impacted you as an educator? And can you share any activities that are engaging or any research assignments that you found to be successful? Oh, well, I think the transition to remote learning has had a silver lining uh, for all of us because it has pushed many of us, me included, to integrate a lot more technology in our classes. And I think this will be connecting with our students. Even after everything goes back to, let's call it normal, uh, we will see that we are going to keep a lot of these things that we are doing now because it connects with them. And it helps us and it, it shares, it shares a, a commitment to language that helps them integrate it into their everyday lives. They, they are living connected to something all the time. So I think that's that's the the silver lining that I uh, I think we will we will come away with. Our classes will never look the same as they did half a year ago or a year ago. Um, and we do we do a lot of quick things uh, that students love. They they love the quick Kahoot competitions. Um, they love breakout rooms where they can have a competition to write a semi, a little play or a, a, or a little dialogue. Um, we did a, a, a research project, a project-based learning about sustainable fashion in which they, uh, st students had to figure out what they were going to sell, how they were going to sell it, but it had to be sustainable fashion. It had to be 
taking into account that it was not going to hurt the environment. So it was, it really had many facets. And so we are trying to integrate what they're in, in what they like and what they're into, into their own projects. And that, that has been working out very nicely. Terrific, Teresa. That sounds like a terrific project. And I agree with you. We've opened the door. We're not going to shut. Things have certainly changed. Marlene, uh, how has your experience transitioning to remote learning in the spring of 2020 impacted you as an educator? And can you share any engaging activities or research assignments that you found to be successful? You know, in the spring, we already knew our students. So the human connection was there before we had to move remotely. And I think that that was a big change in the fall. And we didn't know any of these students. And the only contact we had with them was through Zoom and this little square. So I found that it was much more difficult to create that human connection. And when you have all of the students in the class at the same time, obviously that's even more difficult. So I did try to have breakouts, but breakouts with me <laughs> so that I could meet with my students individually, even the first two weeks, just speaking English to just find out who they were, why they were taking this language, why they chose this language and not another, what their major was going to be, just to see if we could set up some kind of a connection because I really didn't know them. Now I think I know them a little better, certainly not as well as I knew the students that I, you know, that I taught in person. And now what I try to do is, again, is use the language as much as possible with them. So we do a lot of role playing. I mean, I will, you know, give them menus. We'll put it right on. It's very easy on, on Zoom to put up a menu from a Spanish restaurant or a Peruvian restaurant. And then I break them up into groups and they have to, one is the waiter and one is the, you know, the customer and, or we'll put up a supermarket ad or a clothing store ad and they'll practice those. But one of the most successful things that I found is bringing in a native speaker who makes believe he or she does not know any English. And it's not hard to find some of those. And so, especially if I can get family members or members, grandmothers of, of students who are, you know, heritage language students who are willing okay. to help me, they will come into the class. They do not speak any English. The students have to communicate with them however they can, incorrectly, whatever, but they have to be able to speak with them. And that has forced them, they like that kind of experience because it has forced them to see that they can communicate and when they can't, they have to find the way in which they can. And they, I allow them to run to their word reference to find the words. But it's the true experience of having to use that language with a person who will not understand your English, no matter what you try to say. So that has been a really good experience. And that has been a, you know, a fun activity. I don't do it often because it can be very frustrating. But I do maybe once a month have bring in a native speaker for them to engage with for a couple of, uh, I don't know, half an hour, 40 minutes. That sounds terrific, quite frankly, you know, and, and the, you know, some of our listeners may not realize that Manhattan College is in the Bronx, uh, which is um, really, a, a, you know, Rosani Hanau and I are, Rosani's on the podcast committee and, and I are both Manhattan College graduates. And sure enough, you know, in the Bronx, there is no shortage of Spanish speakers. And so it's really a great opportunity to work with the community and, and to really link the students as well. And that's just a terrific thing you're doing there, Marlene. That's great. Uh, well, terrific. Terrific. You know, at this point, I'd like to um, really note, you know, how I just once again, I, I mentioned it briefly, but, you know, our field is in transition, but I'm very impressed by, you know, you three panelists and others with whom I've spoken about how everyone is able to really address the challenges that seem to be coming up and constantly changing and now as we're going into the winter you know many colleges are going back to fully online and so the field is changing even uh, in a different way once more and you know I think that the the, the take-home message I get is one of great confidence and not only you three on the panel but uh, our colleagues in general I think we're certainly rising to the occasion at the field and meeting the students where the needs to be met. So, uh, you know, a very strong thank you uh, to Marlene, Diana, and Teresa for your terrific conversation during our podcast, as well as, once again, to Professor Marilee Bierman, Dr. Liliana Soto-Fernandez, Mr. Bernie Lopez, and Ms. Rosani Hanau of our AATSP New York Metropolitan Chapter podcast. Thank you also to all of you listeners at home 
for joining us during this podcast. And please be sure to visit our website at aatspmetny.org. That's aatspmetny.org. Once again, my name is Dr. Alan Hartman from Mercy College in Dobbs Ferry, New York. And if you would like to reach out to me for any reason, my email address is ahartman.aatspmetny at gmail.com. That's A-H-A-R-T-M-A-N dot A-A-T-S-P-M-E-T-N-Y at gmail.com. Of course, I would be very pleased to speak with you. If you are a teacher of Spanish and Portuguese, please come and join us at the American Association of Teachers of Spanish and Portuguese. There are AATSP chapters throughout the country, and our New York Metropolitan chapter is eager to welcome those of you who live in the New York City metropolitan area. You can find out more about AATSP at aatsp.org. And we thank AATSP for supporting our work with the AATSP New York Metropolitan Chapter Podcast. Lastly, I would also like to very strongly thank Vans Beats for the music that you heard during this podcast. Thank you all once again. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast if you have not yet done so and get ready for our third podcast, which will be released in the spring. Gracias, obrigado, and see you next time.